Hi, everyone. I'm Diane. I'm Capriana. Welcome to Dose of Unity. And we are uh, here today. We're going to be talking um, about sex trafficking, human trafficking. Again, uh, this is our second part. We had part one with our very first uh, podcast that we did. And there's just so much there that we really wanted to um, go deeper. And, you know, this that was a topic that we had a lot of um, comments on and um, people just have a lot of questions. So uh, I'm just going to recap a bit about what we talked about the last time. Uh, we talked about how um, sex trafficking can happen. And I'm saying sex trafficking as opposed to human trafficking in this conversation, because uh, that is really what we're talking about, uh, just to be clear. And um, obviously with human trafficking, it relates to labor and things like that, labor laws and, and people working um, and being coerced to work and not get paid and things like that. But we are definitely um, talking more about sexual exploitation and um, sex trafficking. But we talked about how it can happen, um, some of the ways you can prevent from being trafficked. One of the big things we talked about you know, was social media and um, not engaging with anybody you don't know, not being too open on socials, um, knowing who you're friends with, things like that. And we also talked about how you can help someone who's been a victim of trafficking. And we talked about um, the different ways that um, somebody who's being trafficked could, could potentially get help. One of the ways that, that I had shared is if you um, just like collapse and need to go to the emergency room, the emergency room personnel um, uh, are trained to try to get you help right away. But um, we are going to talk this time a bit more about why people don't report when they have been victims of trafficking. We'll talk a bit more about um, the demand side of it. That's a big one. And we're going to incorporate some of the stories that we have heard from some of the people who've been victimized as we've talked to them. Capran and I um, have talked to them in preparation for all the work we've done on this. We've put in hundreds of hours of work talking to all the different levels of people involved in this topic from FBI and police to people who work directly with the uh, people who've been trafficked as well as victims themselves. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, and so, so let's talk about why they don't report. So Capran, I'm going to let you just start with this and then you know, we'll kind of continue our, our conversation. But one of the most obvious reasons they don't report, but go ahead and share with us. I mean, there's there's plenty of reasons um, someone might not report from um, just flat out being scared, um, being co uh, threatened. Um, a lot of times uh, there will be, um, you know, threats made against the individual or their family members or their children. Um, lots of different ways um, that someone can scare someone into not reporting. Um, then you also have an effect where they're they're at this point mentally where they identify with their trafficker. They're not sure that they're they're no longer believing that they're trafficked. They think that this is their boyfriend. Oh, that's just how he is or whatever. Um, uh, oh my gosh, they might feel like this is the only way that they can stay afloat and survive. Um, you know, this trafficker is providing them food or shelter or something that they need. They don't feel like um, they um, can provide that for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's people who might feel that they want 
to be in this situation that they they feel like it's their choice, but it's not really their choice. Um, they're just, you know, again, in this mental state where they're, um, it's pure survival. So Diane, I mean, what are, I guess, what are some other ways that I, I didn't mention? Those are the most glaring. I know that we have yeah. we've identified. So what are maybe the more nuanced ones? Yeah. Yeah. And I, everything you'd mentioned is, is exactly it. And, and a lot of people just don't understand why, why doesn't she get out or, or, you know, they think about all these different scenarios. And I think that um, what I've heard too, um, in addition to what you had shared is, uh, we, and we touched on this a little bit the last time is, is if they have been brainwashed essentially or told over and over and over that the police can't help you, nobody cares about people like you, you're just a prostitute, you'll get arrested, um, all of those things. And then in addition to that, um, I mean, I've heard from victims as well as from our conversations with the FBI as well. It's really hard too, because like you were saying, the threats, if they do report and they have to go and testify, um, they're put on the stand to um, they're being put on the stand to defend themselves. And that's terrifying anyway, when you have the trafficker who could be in the courtroom with you and um, they try to diminish everything about the person, you know, so they're, they're really, really slick at, well, look at her. She doesn't make any sense. She's um, uh, an, a drug addict. She's a prostitute. Like she's crazy. And, and unfortunately, when somebody is in a situation that they have to face their trafficker in court, if they get that far, um, they are, it, it's very terrifying, you know, and the other thing I think, as I talk to different people, I hear about how they have a hard time, the victims often have a hard time articulating, you know, what's going on and what, what has happened to them. And something that I think a lot of people overlook is they've often had traumatic brain injuries as well with how they have been treated and if they have been um, abused. And so when you add all this up and you are in a court situation where you're trying to um, address all of this, um, it, it's, it's very, very scary. And um, I think the reason I'm bringing this up is for judges and for attorneys and, and people to understand what you see um, is you have to really look carefully and understand the whole picture and really be trained on what to look for in order to make sure that that person who's been victimized is is safe in their in their you know in court in their testimony and you know then the other thing too is um, it, it's similar to if somebody has been a victim of rape. Um, the statistic that I had read was 20%, only 20% of rape is reported for the same reason. Um, it's apparently gone up a little bit. Dana from Rape Crisis Center has said that it's gone up to 33% um, as of um, since the whole Me Too movement, movement. So it has, the reporting has increased. You know, so I think the, the other part of it too, from a statistical perspective, when people are wondering about, you know, what are, what are the numbers as far as how many people have been trafficked? Um, or if there is a situation where um, people are talking about somebody who's being trafficked and it's police, it kind of is like, if the police don't know about it, it doesn't happen. 
is kind of the mentality I've heard sometimes. And, and I want to challenge that to say, actually, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just, it just means it wasn't reported for all of these reasons we're talking about. But um, so yeah, anything, anything more on that particular part of it that uh, you want to share? No, I mean, I think we touched on, on most um, things. I know that I, it, it can be even um, bigger sometimes than we know um, as far as like a particular trafficker working with a network of other people, which is, you know, something that's even scarier. So they don't trust other people. Um, even when they are able to report, they don't know who's, you know, they, they get into these situations where they're in these shelters or they're in these places. They don't know who they can trust. They don't know who's connected to the trafficker who might bring them right back. Um, I think that that's another really scary thing, but um, the key to all this, you know, is obviously awareness and making making uh, people understand what trafficking actually is. Cause I think there's such a divide between um, what we see in the media as trafficking um, versus what it actually um, mm -hmm. looks like in real life. So, you know, the people who don't even know that they're being trafficked, so they're not gonna report, I think is like a huge, huge essential piece uh, to this. True, true. And, and that's why, you know, the domestic abuse and rape um, and trafficking are all kind of connected, right? And uh, and people who are in a vulnerable situation, like you said, I think the other part that I want to talk about a bit is, um, I've heard from victims as well, depending on how the, um, how the system is set up, you know, for this. Uh, for example, I understand the point of, of bail, right? Um, you're innocent until proven guilty. Obviously, they increase the bail for um, people who have done worse things. But that is another issue that really upsets me every time I hear that somebody is arrested. They're out on bail the next day, especially some of these high-level traffickers have a lot of money at their disposal. And they could go finish. They could, you know, the woman knows or the, the victim knows that they have a target on their back. And um, from a domestic abuse situation too, that is another, um, uh, that, that's a factor as well. You know, it's the same thing you hear with, with uh, people who are in those situations. They, uh, they'll say, I would report, but I know he will get out and I'll have a, a target on their back. Even if, even if they have a restraining order and all of that, we all know that a piece of paper is not gonna stop some of these people. And, so that is something I personally really, really struggle with um, when there is obvious um, uh, indication that that person is a threat to somebody. And, it, and it's happened twice in the news in the last month or so in our local area. Um, and uh, so, so that is something hopefully that will be addressed or changed somehow. Um, but yeah, so that is... I think important for people to realize, and uh, like you said, going back to, if somebody doesn't really know that is what's happening to them, if they are in a kind of a generational cycle of this kind of a situation, I guess, that maybe their mother or their, you know, somebody in their family has this type of lifestyle and they think that, oh, you know, like you're saying that this is a way to have a roof over my head and be fed as long as I'm compliant. And Even broader, uh, like you brought a generational trauma in general, you know, we've learned that this, it has a huge trickle down effect. So even if um, mom or dad wasn't in the specific situation, it could just be, you know, the area that they're in, the people that they associate with the various traumas mm -hmm. that, you know, were passed down 
from from any any situation that leads to this lifestyle um, or or this mindset that this is a lifestyle that you have to have and that's just you know you were just dealt a you know a crap card in life and then this is just how you have to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will say from what you had you had mentioned about you know people being having a lot of money and um, those types of people the issue runs really really deep and I think the issue runs close to some of the people that would be making. Um, the decisions for these victims. And that's just like, it's daunting to us lay people, you know, how are, how are we going to change anything when the people in power are the people who are complicit in the issue? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it really starts with we, the, the people um, mm-hmm. kind of moving under underneath all of this stuff and, and forcing them to out themselves as what they are and forcing them to change for humanity, you know, this is not, um, it's just not okay. And it's too, um, it's too big now. And um, I think more, more and more people are realizing, and I'm so glad that people are openly talking about it. You see so many national commercials about it and you you hear about it more and more and more. And that's, we need to get louder um, for these people because like they they don't, they have no idea. They have no voice and they have no idea it's even happening to them. Yeah. Um, and, and, if, so. and if they do, yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's, um, feeling as though you're not worthy. You know, if you are a person that is in that situation, feels like feeling like nobody cares about people like me. And again, as we've talked about from the last time we were talking about the statistics, that when I say statistics, it's kind of like based on everybody we've talked to and their guesstimates. Cause again, if it's not being reported, it's really, really hard to get a true sense, but most are not choosing this lifestyle. Most who have been imprisoned have been victims of, you know, sexual assault as a child or, you know, a teen or in, in that, that snowball effect. And, I, and the other thing I want to talk about a little bit too, is going a, a bit deeper on what we've learned from a lot of the work that we've done in research is how many times somebody who has been victimized has also been arrested. And now I know I'm kind of contradicting myself as far as them getting help versus getting arrested for something else. I'm talking about getting arrested for something else, not even related to, let's say, prostitution. But um, if you hear of a lot of folks who've been uh, trafficked, and victimized, and if they have had issues with the law, there there are all these different things that come up. For example, um, I've heard stories where somebody um, was arrested because they had a, a gun illegally, let's say, and if that person um, was using that gun to protect herself, mm-hmm. um, you you know, when you hear the every little step and nook and cranny, you you realize if you were in her shoes, you'd be exactly in the same spot. Um, so I've heard of stories like that. Somebody who um, who was had assaulted another person who, when you go deeper, it might be because that person is working with the trafficker. You know, it, it, there's, there's women or uh, people who have to recruit and have to do what the trafficker says to get that person pulled back in. You know, so, so that's another one. Another one I heard was, um, I don't recall if I mentioned this the last time, but uh, person who finally escaped her trafficker and took his car she got arrested for stealing his car she was trying to escape and and again if if somebody 
is in these situations listening to this, if you do go to the police, again, most police are trustworthy and will help. And you know, any of the organizations that you reach out to on this topic, they know who to trust. Go to them first. If you're if you're not sure how to navigate it, they can help you through that. Um, but if you were to tell them all of those things, uh, it's much easier for you to um, to deal with to deal with it. But a lot of times, the trafficker also positions them to do things on their behalf that's illegal. Like a lot of times, drug uh, drug selling drugs and trafficking go hand in hand. So if they're going to have the um, the person who's being trafficked and victimized go do the drug deliveries and this and this and this. So they stay clean while they're the ones doing the dirty work. And they're the ones that might get arrested as a result. And again, you know, like you said, if they don't know what's happening, you know, if they don't know to speak open. Then them having a record just makes them untrustworthy when it comes to actually facing their trafficker when it comes to the legal system, because that's something that can poke holes right into right in their story. It's like, well, you have a rap sheet a mile long. How can we trust that you know this is what's happening and that this person's behind it. How do we know that you're not the mastermind or you know however that works? I think again, like we the we we just people need to come together and push lawmakers into considering these sorts of things. Like, and I'm I'm not saying letting people off for bad behavior, um, but you know normalizing and like really really funding alternate systems and alternate resources so that people who are in this situation aren't just chucked in jail and they don't get any help that they actually need. You know, the counseling, the um, crisis centers, the um, people who can help them reintegrate into society in a better situation and show them that you do have these other options that you can do. You don't have to go back there. Here's our safety plan. Here's how we're actually going to do this for you. Um, because I, I remember the one um, that we had uh, that event um, and, you know, she spoke and I was just like in tears because from from where she was at to her being a nurse now yeah. and caring for people and, and having a, you know, an advanced degree and all of this other stuff. It's like, this is so possible for so many of these, these people who um, don't feel like they're worth it, like you had said. So there, there really needs to be very big system, uh, sy- systematic changes um, in our legislature surrounding this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's, that's really the only way that we're going to be able to, as a whole, as a society, as a nation, get, um, get folks aware and get mm-hmm. folks the help that they need instead of just tossing away the issue mm-hmm. uh, at every, at every juncture, you know, you hear about the big ones, um, like we had, sp- uh, you had mentioned the two in the news, but, mm-hmm. you know, for every two that you hear in the news, there's hundreds more happening right in your backyard. So right. it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it, it is hard. And, you know, but it, it, there is, there's hope. And I think to your point, if, if we, the people come together um, to, to make sure that people are paying attention to this. And, I, and again, it's like they, I know people are all busy. I know people do care, um, you know, but, but making sure that the more we, we all come together, like you said, and, and make noise and, um, and make sure people are listening and paying attention to this, uh, you know, that's how change happens. Just like, you know, with the, the reporting for rape, for example, it was, they said, be, since the Me Too movement. I mean, think about how, how that shifted a lot of things. And, uh, and, you know, with the, the Black Lives Matter movement too, and how, 
um, just awareness of some of the situations that people have. And, you know, we're very much about unity and about working together on it and realizing how many human beings just support making sure all human beings are treated with um, kindness and, you know, fairly and um, all of that have the same opportunities and, you know, um, make sure that the person has the, the ability to believe in themselves and to believe in their dreams. Mm-hmm. And everybody, no matter where you start out in life is, is worth the same level of dignity and respect. And we all, we all should be recognizing that in, in human beings and stopping the chain that continues to create these situations where you create the people who are being trafficked and the traffickers, you know, cause we as a society are, we're birthing and nursing and growing traffickers too. You know, it's not like this weird alien ship that's just plopping traffickers in, in the human in, in, on earth. It's, you know, that, that trafficker also has a parent that, you know, or um, a community or somebody around them. Um, even if it's, you know, and unfortunately um, I know that we've talked about, you know, kind of even just like the foster system and other things of this, um, where you are creating people who are being trafficked and traffickers too. So there's another system that we really, really need to look into um, and and make sure those kids that we're shaping and forming have, are being shaped and formed in a way that they're going to be contributing members of society and they're not going to harm other people. Um, Because we know that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, there's, it's such a huge issue. Um, so as far as like, so for, you know, people listening or watching, um, you don't necessarily need to be the person who's starting a huge nonprofit or, um, you know, making your entire, cause we, again, we know that everybody does have our normal lives. I think all of our messaging is just, please don't turn a blind eye to this because it's an ugly issue. And we understand that. Um, but if at any opportunity you have to even just, you know, share some resources on Facebook um, mm-hmm. or put up a flyer or, you know, just any, any little things you can do to just kind of continue to put this um, issue back on top on the, you know, with the, you know, various um, social issue priorities that we have as a society, um, just continuing to cycle this to the top and, and, force everyone to look at the ugly issue, you know, because we we can't we can't bury it. It's already they're trying to bury it themselves. So we shouldn't be allowing that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you know this is a good segue into, you know, talking about the demand side because yeah, statistically people who abuse have been abused, people people who are hurt hurt, right? And so it's um it's reshaping or in redefining what that looks like. And I know that um, for example, the, the event that, that we had had last year, that was a big conversation with all of the meetings and, um, making sure that that part is incorporated into the, um, organizations that are going into schools to, um, to teach obviously the, um, everybody, like how to respect others and how, um, certain things are not acceptable and, how to um, respect someone's boundaries. And, you know, in even, and I know sometimes this is controversial for some people who don't understand the why behind it. You know, when I've talked to some people about, for example, um, when they're, when they're really little trying to, to talk about boundaries and, and, you know, not, uh, 
um, allowing somebody to hug you if you don't want them to hug you or consent. And it starts with that, you know, and, and, and again, if they understood the why behind that, because it could start with, you know, well, there's a reason why, you know, this person doesn't want to sit on uncle's lap or kiss uncle on the lips and all that. Right. I mean, and, and so teaching at a very young age that they have, they own their own body. Right. Yeah, can, I mean, consent. I know that's a huge topic um, uh, that people talk about and teaching consent very, very uh, early on. Like, for example, I, um, with my two little kids, I make sure I'm, you know, teaching. And and here's the thing. I'm, I'm not teaching stranger danger. I'm not teaching strange people um, because I want them to be able to recognize people who might be a stranger to them, but will help them. Um, I'm not teaching stranger danger, strange people. I'm teaching strange behavior because yeah. again, this issue is uncovered that a lot of a lot of people who end up in these abuse situations are known to that person. So I I don't not not that I'm trying to make them not trust family members or be leery of family members, but I want them to be able to recognize strange behavior. You know, mm -hmm. for example, there there should be no adult telling you to keep a secret from me. Right. You know, I mean, I I understand. Oh, you know, grandma's planning a surprise party for mom, that wouldn't be a strange behavior. Mm -hmm. Strange behavior would be something different that they're asking you to keep a secret from me. And so like my kids, will, my kids will know that. So they'll, um, and then I'm also raising two little boys. And I know in this society, it's, um, you know, going to college or some gray areas and drinking and parties and whatever. I'm raising them to be absolutely respectful of people's boundaries. And um, the only yes, that means yes, is an enthusiastic yes. You know, so if, if somebody doesn't give, if they say no or okay, man, that's not, that's not consent. That's coercion. And um, I don't want, I don't want to be growing, you know, traffickers or abusers or anybody that would be, you know, even just like a toxic boyfriend, you know, I, I don't want that for my kids and I, I know nobody does. So yeah, consent yeah. is a huge thing. Yeah. And I'm grateful. I mean, you know, um, I have daughters and so I'm grateful that um, for people who, are, are teaching their sons that, and, you know, um, there's been situations where, um, there's been good young men who step in, um, to look out for, um, for others. Um, and again, it's not just females. We know that, um, boys and LGBTQ community and, you know, there's, but anybody who is in need and everybody's, you know, um, should be safe and, um, and yeah, stepping in and doing the right thing, you know, really is what it comes down to. So I know that that's, that is more of an emphasis and more of a push. And, um, and that is why, and, uh, you know, and then the whole thing going back to, you know, just, oh, being a nice little girl and whatever, you know, but, but the threats. And I think the other thing too, that I'm just going to mention that I think is important to, to talk to kids about is if somebody is telling you or threatening, oh, if you tell, I'm going to hurt your parents or your sister or whatever, um, that's super, super scary. But they have to understand that they still, I mean, you have to tell your family. Um, they're not going to, you know, it's, it's threats that they share. Um, and it's more important to be honest and share, you know, with, with your family, if that is what somebody is, is doing. Um, and the other thing that I would, I would teach my girls too is, um, and this is something I think that guys need to listen to. And I guess I'm, I'm saying female, male, you know, but just, just to make it simple is, um, 
men have to be aware also of what they are asking of somebody who they have power over, you know, um, not getting them in a, in a room alone, um, you know, making sure that uh, they are aware and cognizant of the fact that if there is a girl or a teenage girl or whatever person alone, um, you probably just don't want to be engaging with them, you know, like being overly <laughs> engaging with them because, um, yeah, because it, it's a type of person. Yeah, that, yeah. It's, well, it's just ingrained in our heads. And I actually saw a TikTok the other day um, and I I didn't like the idea, but I, I wondered why it was an idea. This um, woman had mentioned um, that men should have a curfew just so that women can go walk alone at night or go for walks or go out and not feel unsafe. And I was like, well, why is that even a suggestion? Well, it's because there is a, a general, and you had said, you know, to the female male thing to make it simple. It's not even, that's just the statistics of it. That's what's happening. And um, it is unfortunate. So, you know, I, I think we can't, we can't stop those behaviors. We just have to stop the systems that are creating those types of people. Um, so getting young men support early on, getting destigmatizing mental health help, destigmatizing different things um, to allow young men to have the support that they need so they don't resort to these different things or they don't think that be certain behaviors um, are appropriate. And mm -hmm. same thing for young women. Yeah, yeah. Having, having strong male mentors that this is how you treat your girlfriend. You know, this is how you, um, or the other, you know, I, I uh, remember a conversation. So, you know, we, we talked about the fact that I'm obviously an older generation and, and with the Me Too movement, for example, um, I realized as a woman, how much women um, at my age growing, like how much was just, that's just how it is, you know? And like, even watching some old shows and the sexual innuendos and the, you know, and how women just really had to, um, you know, we often just would laugh it off. You know, yeah. we were taught to laugh it off rather than in your face, because then you'd be a bee and blah, 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 you know, and, and having to navigate that. And then even my, my mother on the, you know, in her generation, um, um, I don't know if she would appreciate me sharing this, but I mean, she, she dealt with her own stuff too. And it's just like, you know, that's where, again, you, you want the good people doing the right thing and standing up to somebody like that to say, hey, leave her alone, buddy, you know, and it's not a matter of let's figure out how far we can go and get her drunk and, you know, slip or something or whatever. Oh, it's just, uh, it's wrong, period. But, but, you know, going, talking again about the demand side of things, I'd like to share a little bit more about um, some of the things that, that I know we learned along the way. And if people go through thinking people who are in a certain um, uh, prostitutes, let's say, if they think that, okay, they're choosing that lifestyle, um, they don't realize how the, the large percentage of them who have been coerced, forced into it in the first place. And I've heard where that education, you know, where a man who would be saying, I thought I was hiring this person for this pur purpose. And I didn't realize that this person may have been forced into it. It's like, I would not, like a good man would say, 
I'm relooking at all of that now and realizing that that there's a very high likelihood that this person I I think that you know is is in the sex industry is choosing that. Um, and, and I like that you said sex industry because I know that we identified that it's not just like prostitution and that. It's, I was trying to come work. up with that. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's complete. It's right. the whole. It's sex workers in general, porn stars, like mm-hmm. all this stuff that looks it like it's choice. And for some people, if it is, if it is 100% their choice, then, you know, you do you, but mm-hmm. the vast majority, it's, it's not choice, it's coercion. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we're, we're complicit in the issue. Every time you <laughs> open that certain site or, you know, hire that escort for the night. Um, yeah, it's just an eye opener. And, uh, you know, I know again, that what they're seeking is, is, is good men to stand up to, and educate, you know, educate the boys, educate the, the other men. And um, I always say someone is going to be the strongest in a room. Someone's going to be the strongest in, in an industry or in a business or in whatever. Be the strongest person for good and stand up for what is right. And uh, make sure that you um, realize that and look at it too. Like this could be my sister or, you know, uh, my daughter or whoever, somebody to, to humanize that person. It's not just this person who doesn't matter, who couldn't be discarded alongside the road. Think about that person's um, history. And that person, like you said, we were, we're all born um, exactly equal and perfect and um, un, un, uh, we're not harmed, you know? And then as we go through life, you know, the, obviously the more somebody has been through trauma, you know, that, uh, that impacts their life a lot and how they feel about themselves. So, um, so is there anything we, we missed on that? I wanted to, we wanted to share a little bit more about some of the specific stories that we had heard. Um, just looking at my notes here. No, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, if you want to segue into like the, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, a lot of people have been asking, you know, about the different various stories and, um, and I think that it's helpful to hear the stories in order to wrap your head around the reality. Right. And, um, and, and just, just think through that, those little things that could, could make a big difference. So, um, I'm just going to talk about one in particular right now who shared that she was, and this is a, somebody that lives in Wisconsin, and she shared that she was actually out at a bar, and um, she woke up in, I think it was Atlanta. I can't remember what state she woke up, but she was- um, Same state, different city. Yeah. That's yeah. if it's the one I'm remembering. Yeah. And so she was- told She was going on a plane. Yeah. What was that? And then was told she was going on the plane to Atlanta. Oh, was that a different one? I, I'm, I'm thinking of the one that basically was out until she woke up in a hotel room. Is that the same one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, so she, yeah. She woke up in a hotel room. She was being trafficked from that hotel room for three months straight. And I can't, can't remember if she was actually, um, sometimes they move around to different hotels, you know, um, but for three months. And there was finally a drug bust. And that's when she was saved. And the part that, so obviously what all happened 
is just so traumatic and so horrible. And I won't get into the gory details because it's just, it's too much. But then once she was saved, the police officer um, didn't know how to handle the situation. I mean, luckily they didn't arrest her. They realized that she was a victim there. Um, but the police officer didn't really know how to handle it, asked her where her family was or where she was from. She said, Wisconsin. Um, she didn't have anything. She didn't have her. That's the other thing too, is they take away all of your identification. So she didn't have any identification with her. The traffickers took away the identification. So she had no money. She had no phone. She had no identification, but she was somehow to try to figure out her way back to Wisconsin. You know, and it's like, I guess in my mind, you think about the movies and you think about, oh, someone's rescued and they are swept back into the arms of their loved ones and everything falls into place. I mean, that's just the beginning. You know, she had to find a way. And I think they gave her or somebody she got in contact with from Wisconsin gave her a, a bus ticket. And so she had to find out how to get to the bus station. She was battered. She was abused. Um, she was drugged. And she had to try to figure out how to get from where she was to the bus station. And I vividly remember her talking about how she um, she was asking the police to help. And then he, he said, well, I'll drop you off. He, he dropped her off in the corner. She was so disoriented. And anybody seeing her on the street would think that she was clearly someone on drugs without realizing this woman had just come through this traumatic, horrible situation. And she um, ended up going to a coffee shop to just sit and just try to gather her thoughts and, and just to sit. And luckily, thank God, some woman, older woman, um, asked her if she needed help and got her to the bus station. But it was just, you know, again, just the, the thinking about all of the above and then thinking how this woman then had to figure life out after all of that, without any support, any counseling, any help, um, because there wasn't really anything at the time. So anyway, um, that was the one that stood out. Did I miss any details of hers? No, um, but I believe because she was the one that spoke at the event, correct? No, this is a different oh, that was one. a different one. Okay. Oh, we had we had the Zoom meeting with this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, I, I think that that's it. Just it it it's incredibly scary um, that things can change for someone so quickly. Um, you know, she was having fun, I, and then all of a sudden, it is gone. And for years, um, mm -hmm. it's just it, it's really and and looking that person in the face while they tell you that story. You know, I think that that's even more powerful and I would challenge, again, it's, you know, it's an ugly issue that people don't want to hear about or look at, but I would challenge everybody out there to, to seek out those stories and to look those people in the face, not necessarily in person, but there's plenty of people who share on YouTube who, um, you know, there's various events everywhere where there are survivors speaking out and and saying what happened to them just so people in similar situations um, can know where people who are close to similar, similar situations can know what that looks like and how to intervene and how to help. Um, yeah, I mean, her, her story and all the other ones we heard was just so, it changes the way you, you interact in normal life. Like it did for me. I'm very aware of, um, things in, in normal life. Now I, I look for things, um, differently. I notice people, uh, differently. 
Um, but I think that that's something that we all need to do um, is be be aware because we're we we have to be the ones to help. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, and then also at the event, um, the the one that you had mentioned as far as how she's a nurse now and um, and how thank God you know she is where she is. And I I know everybody who listened to her story, um, as difficult as it was for her to share it, just wanted to scoop her up and just love on her and. Um, you know, it, but that, that was very hard for her to share her story. And in her case, she was raised in a family, um, a Catholic family who had a dad who was very strict. And, um, and I believe that there was some, you know, definitely some control going on there with the father and the mother and the kids. And um, she had shared how she didn't get a lot of attention from boys because she was a little heavier, she said. And um, so the first time this guy gave her some attention and we swept her off her feet and uh, made her feel pretty, um, she trusted him, she loved him, she believed him. And then he pulled her into the trafficking and, um, and she couldn't get out and, you know, and just feeling very used and abused and um, like she had no other option and how he pulled her away from her family and all of that. Um, yeah. yeah, that was really difficult to hear. Um, is there a particular part of what her story was that stood out to you? Um, I mean, not in particular, aside from just how, how, how scary and how real, um, the issue is. And if you, um, kind of put yourself in that, that situation, it, like I said, just changes the way that you interact with real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that the last story was somebody too, who in her case, um, she was from Wisconsin also, and she was sharing, and I can't remember if you were in on this, um, this meeting with her or not, but she was sharing how it was kind of a lifestyle um, situation that she got pulled into um, with her peer group and kind of a drinking and drugs and, you know, let's all have fun kind of um, situation where um, she had been drugged, she had been not herself and it was more normalized, I think, is the situation with her is she was kind of pulled into this mentality. And that was kind of, you know, she would say in a pop culture, R. Kelly kind of mentality of, hey, this is just how it is. Um, and uh, what's that? Grooming. Grooming, grooming, yeah. And how hard it was to get out of that and how the next guy would sweep in and act like he was going to, you know, make sure she was treated better and take care of her and all of those things. Yeah. there's so many different ways that people are trafficked and it, it you know we could talk for five hours about um the different situations that that are trafficking when people don't think that think or know or aware that it is trafficking um yeah, yeah. I think the media does a they're doing better but I think there's a a bad does a, a I shouldn't say a bad job, but mischaracterizes um, or like maybe just shows one side, the most severe, you know, snatching off the street, which does happen. So obviously please be aware of your surroundings when you're out. Um, Cause we talk to those people, 
but there's also, you know, people close to you, people, you know, people that you, you love, and maybe it's just, you think it's a toxic boyfriend and maybe you're actually being trafficked, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it can happen so fast and um, in certain situations, but then it can also be the gradual kind of pull you in sort of thing. So. Well, and, you know, and it's not to really freak people out, but, you know, my conversations with um, the police and FBI and hearing hearing from the voices of real people, again, it's, you know, there are these um, patches that somebody can put on um, your skin and mm-hmm. drug you, you know, so like if somebody's in a bar, the other thing um I had heard from, I'm not going to mention the university, but there was a university that somebody had got a hold of. It was like a pinprick type of thing that they would hug the girls when they would come in. It was a frat house. And this is, you know, obviously a little different than a trafficking situation, but the methods are the same, but just, she felt a little prick. And this is actually from somebody that I've um, talked to. And, uh, and then that's the last thing she remembered. So in terms of the being drugged. So, yeah. I know there's a lot of companies, uh, startup companies, smaller companies that are trying to do everything they can to help with some of those types of situations. I know there's like a, a nail polish company that um, you can wear the nail polish and put your finger in a drink and see if it's drugged um, and, and various things like that. Um, I think continuing to champion those types of things, support those types of organizations, um, utilize those products, um, you know, because it's, it's really crappy that they're, you know, these people are so desperate to, to do these things and to snatch these people and to get, you know, um, people in these trafficking situations that they're so far ahead of us, um, as you know, they're 10 steps ahead of us with their tactics. Cause you know, once we uncover a new tactic, they've already got 10 more in the pocket that they can, they can do. So, um, yeah, and there's a dark web. They do their training. They actually train people on how to do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I think you know that will wrap us up today. Um, I'm just kind of looking through our notes to see if there's anything else. But um, you know, I guess you know as far as the how to help again. Um, you know, we talked about this the last time. But if you are an organization who wants to kind of be a safe space employer, or if you have access, housing is a huge, huge, huge issue in terms of the vulnerability of the population. So um, we need to um, make sure that anybody who, you know, again, is a landlord or has access to property and things like that, um, they can be involved and they're very needed. So um, those things are important. And, you know, again, we're just going to, I'm just going to pull up the, um, the hotline number again, because it is important to just keep this handy. And we talked about this a bit the last time, but if you know, um, or if you suspect there might be a situation that somebody's being trafficked and you're not sure what to do about it, it's really, really important to report it. And again, um, it doesn't matter, um, you know, if, you're wrong or not, let them figure that out. Um, the people who are professionals figure it out because maybe it is a situation where there's been other reports and they can add them all up and make an arrest. But the National Human Trafficking Hotline number is 888-373-7888. And then you can also text HELP to 233 
733-233-733. It's a national human trafficking hotline, but uh, never hesitate to call that number. If you yourself are in a situation, if you see a situation to report it, they are connected across the country to um, get help where you need it at based on what you're looking for too. So if you're, um, they're not gonna push you into reporting it, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna help you where you're at and figure out what that looks like for you. Yeah, um, and then also, you know, head over to doseofunity.com slash take action. We do have a uh, trafficking page with other resources, um, including the hotline number on there. So that's a good thing to review um, and share, you know, um, with other people since there's a lot of good information. And since these issues are so connected, our take action page also has, um, you know, mental health and addiction resources as well. Um, if you have someone close to you who might be kind of in the thick of all of this or might, you know, not realize that they're in a trafficking situation, you know, good starting point is mental health help, addiction help, um, kind of getting them in a, a better mindset and, and then helping them, you know, get out of that situation. I think those foundational things are important too, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, good. Well, thank you everybody for listening and for um, watching and we will wrap things up and again, you know, follow us. Um, if you can you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and then you can be alerted to uh, what's coming up with our next podcast. So thanks again and take care. Bye.